was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're looking at the letter of 1 John and what it says about love, appropriate after Valentine's Day, I think, and also about a missionary who came to America for just a few months, but made a big impact here many years ago. This letter written to a particular church, but to all churches, it's not addressed to one particular one, comes back to some of the basics of Christianity. The basics of Christianity being love. Love, not in the abstract, but in a very particular and focused way for your fellow Christian. And it's based on the fact that Jesus offered his own life for ours, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not just for us, but for the sins of the whole world. This is a um, helpful reminder to me in a time where so there is so much scarcity. It seems like we are driven to desperation when we think of scarcity um, or being bombarded with messages of scarcity that there's only so much to go around. There's only a limited resource for uh, material possessions, for food, for housing, for all these things. And we must all scramble to compete for these things. This is the constant message driven by fear that all of us receive. There's only so much to go around and you better get as much as you can, as fast as you can before somebody else gets it. And that message uh, comes to us in so many different insidious ways in our culture. But we remember the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It was for the sins of the whole world. There is no limit to what Jesus has done for us. There is no scarcity for the love that God has poured out in the world through Jesus Christ. And it is this vision of God's abundance, of God's unstingy and un, uh, unqualified love for the whole world, love without limits, that we are to then take into our relationships and take into our businesses and take into our work and take into every place that we go. We are to take that limitless love that God has declared on the cross through Jesus Christ into the world. And the, the test of this love, the test of whether we are following Jesus when it comes to what Jesus has done on the cross is how we relate to people that are Christians, that are with us on this journey. Both those who are far away, those we hear about, other Christians that sometimes do things that we don't like, and then the ones that we are with all the time, who are working in this organization called the church with us, who sometimes make decisions we disagree with, who sometimes uh, do things that we don't approve of, that sometimes aren't um, living up to our standards, or other things that we've set for them. But this is what John says, that when you walk in the light, when you walk in the light of Jesus' unlimited love, 
this commandment, the new commandment that Jesus gave us, is the one that should be uppermost in our minds. And that is, if you love your brother and sister, that is the test. That is the commandment, to love one another. It seems like a very um, basic thing in Christianity, and yet it is probably the thing that we struggle with the most. If you hate another believer, you're still in the darkness, John says. If you love your brother and sister, you are in the light. So much of our Christian scruples and debates and arguments center around things that are completely opposite or completely indifferent to this basic Christian teaching of loving one another. We remember the source of this commandment. The source of this commandment is Jesus Christ himself on the night he was betrayed, on his final night before his crucifixion, with his beloved disciples, he said this, a new commandment I give to you. We take this commandment that was given, or this mandate, in Latin it's mandatum, this new mandate I give to you. Um, and that name, mandatum, is the title for, the? it's the way the first words of this commandment, a new commandment, mandatum is the opening line of Jesus for that speech at the Last Supper. And it is the, it is the uh, title of the Thursday before Good Friday or Maundy Thursday that points to this new commandment, the new commandment Thursday, the night he instituted both the Eucharist and this new commandment with his disciples. And the commandment is to love one another. We cannot have a real Eucharist unless we love each other. We often in the Episcopal Church get hung up and rightfully so, on what makes real communion happen. Um, we've had a big debate over the digital Eucharist in the last two years, whether the Eucharist can be offered digitally um, over, the, over the Zoom screen. And some churches have done this with people taking communion at home um, as they hear the words of institution on the Zoom screen, and that's fine. Um, Christians have always adapted to new realities in lots of different ways. But this Eucharistic debate of what makes a true Eucharist without a priest, can you have the Eucharist without a priest in the Episcopal tradition? We say, well, that's kind of a, that's part of it. Although other Christians have different ideas about that and that's fine again. But ultimately, I wonder if we centered the debate around the Eucharist over whether really we were loving each other whether real love was happening, love that is both uh, sentimental, the love that we share and publicly demonstrate um, towards each other in church, in our Christian community, um, that kind of love, the love of saying I love you and of caring, but also the love of the love that is much deeper, the love of, of vulnerability, showing love by being vulnerable with each other, by sharing our fears and hopes with each other, or by sharing the things that upset us about each other in a way that people can hear that. Um, th this is also the kind of love that is required for the Eucharist to function properly. Um, in some of the, one of the offertory sentences, which is the offertory sentences are not so, so much as to get you to pull out your wallet or your digital wallet, as they are to prepare you for communion 
Um, that is the point of an offertory sentence, that little thing I say right before Aaron plays on Sunday. And one of them is from Matthew, Jesus' words that when you come to the altar and your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's a very pointed one. The reason we pass the peace before communion, that ritual act of greeting, is not so visitors feel, feel welcome, although that may be a byproduct of it, or at least they feel threatened <laughs> that someone's going to have to come up to them and shake their hand. Um, some people more introverted avoid that time like the plague. They go out and use the restroom or something. Um, but the ultimate reason we do that, passing the peace, is to show that we are reconciled with each other, that our grievances and our offenses um, have been put under the cross and put at the foot of the cross, that our reconciliation with each other flows from God's unlimited love for us. And it shows that perhaps our love could be a little less limited. I think unconditional love is one of those pipe dreams that people often talk about and laud and, and, and celebrate and try to attain, but maybe just less conditional love um, should be our goal just to make it a little less conditional, a little more like God's love for us. That might be a good goal because that is what has to happen for this Eucharistic feast to occur. That is what has to happen for the church to really be the church of Jesus Christ. That has to happen. If you hate a believer, you're hating God, which is really hard um, to, to handle that teaching of both Jesus and John in this epistle of 1 John. So it's something to meditate on as we go about our lives and days, and also to thank God for. The, 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 the way of loving others starts from gratefulness, starts from being thankful for what how God has loved us. All of our forgiveness, all of our reconciliation, all of our love should flow from our realization how much we are loved. And whenever I encounter someone who is not able to love or feels like they can't, um, it is usually a lack of full awareness and realization of God's love for them. And for me, whenever I've struggled with love, it's usually because I've not been feeling loved by God or by others. And so hope you can feel that love today, the love of God that is unlimited, that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ to you and to our community here. Amen. And today the church celebrates the life and witness of Thomas Bray, a priest and missionary. He died in 1730, so a little while ago. He was born in 1696. So right on the cusp of a new century that had a lot of innovations and all sorts of things happen in it. Um, he was an English country parson who was invited by the Bishop of London to be responsible for the oversight of church work in the colony of Maryland. Any Marylanders here today? Uh, I grew up in Elkridge, Maryland, first number of years of my life. Um, Mary's Land. Um, three years later, um, he sailed to America for his first and only visitation 
Though he only spent two and a half months in Maryland, he was deeply concerned by the neglected state of the American churches and the great need for the education of clergy and lay people and children. Um, he did a general visitation at the in Annapolis, at St. Anne's in Annapolis, which is still standing there by the Naval Academy today. Um, and he, he saw that um, there was a great need. So um, he talked about the basics of what the colony churches needed to do. He said whether um, he, he wouldn't uh, take any clergy to America or accept any, whether he gave no matter of scandal and whether he did not and whether he did consistently read prayers twice a day and catechize and preach on Sundays, which notwithstanding the common excuses I know can be done by a minister of any zeal for religion. Sort of the basics of an Anglican clergy person back then was not to be involved in a matter of scandal, to constantly read prayers twice a day. That means like morning and evening prayer and catechize and preach on Sundays. So, Kind of the, the basics of the faith have not changed a whole lot um, since his time. His understanding and concern for the Native Americans and the enslaved blacks and free black people that lived in Maryland, um, he was far ahead of his time on that. He founded 39 lending libraries in America as well as numerous schools. He raised money for missionary work and influenced many young English priests to go to America. Um, he tried hard to have a bishop consecrated for America, but failed. Um, as many of you know, the Church of England colonies in America um, had a lot of political power, as many of the uh, colonists, especially in Maryland and the further south you went, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, and parts of Florida were, were very Anglican as and were the state religion. If you've driven around Northern Virginia, you'll see uh, Glebe Road is a big road right outside of Washington, D.C. And the Glebe lands were uh, lands set aside that the rents would support the churches of Virginia. So state supported religion um, from the earliest days of our colonies, but they wouldn't send a bishop. Um, Anglicans need bishops. That's kind of a big deal in our church. Our bishop is coming April 17th. Mark your calendar. And uh, it's a big deal, but the Diocese of London that supervised the colonies w refused to send a bishop, um, partly because the support of a bishop required um, huge amounts of, of property and land and money as they were little lords. The 20 English bishops still sit in the House of Lords today in England. And so the idea that they would have to fund this was the big problem and then have a rival bishop across the ocean was something the Church of England was not ready to do, not ready to adapt to. Um, and because of that, um, the Anglican cause in America suffered greatly, even though we had lots of people coming and doing work and starting churches and doing ministry. Without the unity of a bishop, um, we lost a lot of, a lot of uh, territory. And that's why we're a tiny church in America, a tiny one. We are one of the tiniest churches in North America. Um, even by generous standards, we are much smaller than most, uh, most other Protestant denominations here in America. Um, and that's because of the short-sightedness of these early bishops in, the, in, the, in London. But 
in spite of that, Bray pressed on and kept advocating for uh, clergy to be sent to America, money to be sent to build schools, and the liberation of enslaved people in America. He was very concerned uh, and started libraries um, for the education of uh, free and recently escaped um, enslaved people here in the colonies. Um, when the deplorable conditions of English prisons were brought to Bray's attention, he set to work to influence public opinion and raise funds to alleviate the misery of the inmates. He organized Sunday's beef and beer dinners in prisons and advanced proposals for prison reform. It was Thomas Bray who first suggested to General Oglethorpe the idea of founding a humanitarian colony for the relief of honest debtors, but he died before the Georgia colony became a reality. So many people that were imprisoned in England at the time were just people that fell into debt and poverty. And that was the final punishment for not paying debt was to be incarcerated, often in terrible conditions where very, with very little food and no medicine or anything like that. Basically a death sentence, um, as many of our prisons are today as well. And so um, his, his idea was to start a penal colony in Georgia with, with Gov General Oglethorpe, who was the founder of the state of Georgia. This was a way of dealing with the, the debt crisis and the, um, and the, the needs of, of, of pr for prison reform in the time. We look back at that as being uh, maybe not a great solution, um, penal colonies, but um, many people took them up on that. And Georgia and Australia and other places were uh, set up to do this. Um, in a time when they should have done more work to restore, to, to deal with the actual root problem of why so many people were falling into debt. But we thank God for Thomas Bray, who um, was a prophet, uh, who saw the future, who saw that the, the evil institution of slavery needed to end, that the problems in America, um, the problems in America needed to be fixed um, before they got even worse, which they eventually did. So we thank God for his witness. O God of compassion, who didst open the eyes of thy servant Thomas Bray to see the needs of the church in the new world, and didst lead him to found societies to meet those needs. Make the church in this land diligent at all times to propagate the gospel among those who have not received it, and to promote the spread of Christian knowledge through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever.